0: Good morning, and welcome to Faith Bridge. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today as we continue our sermon series, Making Faith Work, a look at the book of James. Today we're going to be looking at one of the most contentious and misunderstood passages in the whole Bible, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I'm going to pray for us if you want to go ahead and be turning to the passage, and then afterwards we'll look at the text together. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this day and for the opportunity that we have now to gather as your people and to spend time in your word. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would come, just as you promised, to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Again, we are in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James writes, and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The reason this passage has caused so much discord is that it seems to contradict a fundamental tenet of the Christian faith, that we are saved not by works, but by faith alone. In the book of Ephesians, another book in the New Testament, The Apostle Paul summarized the essence of salvation when he wrote, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then James comes along and says, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. What in the world is going on here? Are James and Paul preaching two different kinds of salvation? No, not at all. While each of them emphasizes a different aspect of our salvation, they're really preaching the same message. It's a a classic case of two sides of the same coin. If you read on in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul goes on to say in verse 10, the very next verse, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And likewise, in today's passage, James holds up Abraham as an example when he writes, You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Faith and works are not opposed to one another. Rather, they work together, making our faith complete. It's on the basis of faith that we are accepted by God and then forgiven of our sins. And then, as a response to that gift of salvation, we choose to walk in obedience, doing good and doing works in the name of Jesus. There's no biblical conflict between faith and good works. The real problem between faith and good works is is not in the Bible, but in us. You see, instead of exercising both faith and good works, we're tempted to settle for one side of the coin or the other. But neither alone does the trick. We're deceived if we think that one side of the coin is sufficient, because there's no such thing as being half-saved. Some of us prefer to go the faith-only route. And the best description I've found of these folks comes from the comedian Louis C.K., who said, I have a lot of beliefs, and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I just like believing them. I like that part. They're my little believeies. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in the way of a thing that I want to do, well, you can bet I just go ahead and do what I want to do. In addition to being deceived, the most charitable word that I can think of for the faith-only types is lazy. Like Louis, they're content with simply believing the right things, but when it comes to actually living out their faith, well, well, that's another matter altogether. I've got my ticket to heaven, so let's don't get carried away by actually doing anything or making radical changes to my lifestyle. These people remind me of a report from the Global Wellness Institute, a nonprofit that's focused on preventative health and wellness. They found that Americans spent $264 billion on physical activity in 2018, far more than any nation in the world. The U.S. leads the world in spending for every segment, including fitness classes at $37 billion, sports and recreation at $58 billion, apparel and footwear at $117 billion, equipment and supplies at $37 billion. And yet for all of this spending, we rank 143rd globally for actual participation in physical activity. More than 40% of Americans fail to meet the global standard of 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity. James is clear that simply believing the right things isn't enough. Even the demons do that, he says. Instead, a life of good works should be a continual expression of gratitude and love for the matchless gift of salvation that God has given to us. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what counts as a good deed? Well, James points specifically to helping the poor. But really, anything that is done for God's glory and for the good of others qualifies. Whether it's helping out around the house, lending a hand to a co-worker, Serving here at Faith Bridge, providing a meal for a family with a new baby, serving on one of our outreach teams, the list is practically endless. The type of work isn't the issue, as long as your motive is to demonstrate your love for God, and the net result is that someone else is blessed. So I wonder this morning, how does your Christian life match up? Have you been content to live on the faith-only side of the coin? I want to challenge you to think and pray about how you can begin to give your faith expression. What good works might God be calling you to even this morning? If some of us live on the faith-only side of the coin, there are others who live on the good works side. These folks are convinced that if they do all the right things, and enough of the right things, then surely God will accept them. Surely God will be persuaded they have earned their salvation and handed over with gratitude for all that they have done. But this is no more effective than the faith-only side of the coin. This approach represents a, a, a horrible misreading of James. We're deceived into thinking that we stand or fall before God solely on the basis of our behavior. And if this is our understanding of God, we have stepped into some deadly territory because you will never meet a more demanding, unpleasable taskmaster than a God who demands that we earn our salvation. Our very best will never be good enough. Now, you might be tempted to think that only the most immature or uninformed sort of Christian would ever fall into that trap. Surely, experienced Christians know better than to go down that road, right? Wrong. It's an ever-present temptation, even for the most seasoned of believers. You see, we live in a world that is based on earning. A solid, productive performance is rewarded, and a poor performance is punished. There are no handouts in life, and anything that seems to be too good to be true probably is. Whether it's grades, a career, an artistic or athletic performance, relationships, we're taught from birth that nobody gets anything for free. It's a cultural norm, like the air that we breathe, that surrounds us constantly, and we can't help but take it in. It's easy to understand how and why we would transfer that cultural norm to our relationship with God. When I was in my mid-twenties, I had the opportunity to spend some time with a man who had risen to the highest echelons of the corporate world. He was the CEO of one of the largest companies in the world, a company whose name you would recognize immediately. And by most measures, he was absolutely successful. Fabulously wealthy, his home was unlike anything that I had ever seen well-known and widely respected not only in his industry but in many different areas of life. He was also a committed Christian, active in his local church and a student of the scriptures. One day we were having coffee together and I took advantage of the moment to ask him questions about how he had done so well and what sort of advice would he give to a young man like me. And he shared several helpful insights But then he summed it all up with a statement that caught me by surprise. He said, Dan, those who do good get good. I was surprised because in addition to his great success, he had also known great pain. He and his wife had experienced the loss of a child. Of course, I didn't say anything aloud, but I thought to myself, do you really believe that? Those who do good get good? Because if you do, how how do you explain that terrible tragedy? Did you do bad so you got bad? Was your child's death a result of, of your failure? Do you really believe that God relates to us on the basis of what we deserve? I've often thought about that conversation and wondered how he might have responded to those questions but of course I'm in no position to throw any stones. I've been a believer for 40 years and a pastor for nearly 30, and I still fall into the trap of trying to please God, bargaining with God, trying to stay on his good side. Recently, one of my daughters was diagnosed with an unfortunate eye condition, which is sometimes indicative of a brain tumor. When Becky, my wife, called me from the doctor's office to, to tell me what was going on, I immediately went into bargain mode. In the unrelenting grip of fear, I began to plead with God that it not be a tumor, confessing every sin that I could think of, promising that I would never do this or that again, that I would start doing this or that, and on and on it went. I had reduced God from being my unconditional Savior to some arbitrary deity who doles out favors based on performance. And it was only after a tumor was ruled out as a possibility that I could see how foolish and how wrong I had been to treat God that way. Living on the good works side of the coin is a dangerous place to be because our best will never be good enough, and more importantly, we lose sight of who God really is. Grace is the free gift of God. Salvation is given to those who do not deserve it and could never, ever earn it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and today He offers us His unconditional love. All we have to do is trust that His grace can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. There's a reason we sing about amazing grace, because it really is. It's free. But just as we've been saying, that that's only one side of the coin. As we receive that amazing grace, there's only one response, and that's to show our love for God through a life of good works, for the glory of God and for the good of others. As I was working on this message, I I thought about how the hymn Amazing Grace captures the faith side of the coin so well. But another hymn from my childhood that I haven't thought about in a long, long time came to my mind, and it captures the other side of the coin, a life lived for Jesus. The name of the hymn is My Faith Looks Up to Thee. And the second verse, I think, says it so well May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart, my zeal inspire. As thou hast died for me, O may my love to thee, pure, warm, and changeless be, a living fire. If you've been living on one side of the coin to the exclusion of the other, I want us to use our closing prayer time to embrace both sides— a life of faith in the unconditional love of Jesus that reveals itself through a life of good works for His glory and the good of others. Perhaps you've never stepped into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I want to pray for you too. So why don't we take a moment now and join our hearts together. Father, again, we give you thanks for this opportunity to worship you and to study your word. We come before you this morning ready to confess that far too often our lives lean more toward one side or the other. Sometimes we're lazy and we just want to receive that gift by faith and then live as we want to live. And then other times our faith is weak and we try to earn your love through our good works. God, forgive us for both. And we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would combine faith and works in our lives to make us whole and healthy people. And if you have been listening this morning and you have yet to make that first step of faith, which leads to good works, I'll invite you just to pray a very simple prayer after me now. All you have to do is say, Lord, I receive your free gift of salvation. I confess to you that I've separated myself from you by my sin. And I recognize that through Jesus' death, He has paid the price for me. Forgive me, cleanse me, heal me, and impart to me that free gift. And fill my heart to overflowing so that I am inspired, as the old hymn would say, to go forth and to do good works in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We pray your blessings upon each one of us as we seek to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.